0: Thanks for being here today. It's really fun to be here with you again um, this week after Easter. So uh, as we sang that song, as actually as the band was warming up this morning and practicing it, I just, I kind of had this thought that we are fighting battles, right? Um, I have my own, I'm sure you guys have some, I know there's some fear. I talked to some of you. I know there's some fear going around. I know there's some doubt. There's some sickness. There's some things that we don't understand why they're happening. They're out there. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Because the week after Easter, you would think that, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead and we all know that and we believe it and everything should be peachy keen honky dory, right? Because Jesus has won. And yet we have this problem because we still struggle in the flesh. I don't know if that's a problem for you, but I wonder why sometimes. Why can't I connect the fact that, you know, Jesus conquered sin and death And why do I still sometimes not want to get up in the morning? Or why do I still sometimes, why am I not able to fall asleep at night? Because I'm so worried about this or that. The things that I did do that I didn't want to do, I could make a list. Or I didn't do the things that I wanted to do, I could make a list. right? Why do we have this struggle and what can we do? What, what hope do we have to overcome this struggle? To fight this battle, to answer this question, to solve this problem? What, what do we do? And last week, Matt talked about the girls. He talked about Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Joanna. Can't remember. She's an aunt or something, right? Um, he talked about them and he talked about how how they were returning to an empty grave, and they were they were taking spices to cover honestly the stench and the smell of Jesus's decaying body right that's what it was for they knew they weren't going there to uh, bring him back to life or to to add anything to what was there it was really just to cover something up they knew they weren't going to find anything there but when they got there much to their surprise the tomb was empty and there was an angel standing there going what you doing why are you here Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? And then Matt proposed that we create our own graves. Sometimes we create our own empty graves when we do things like looking for life in the rules, in the do's and don'ts. When we look for life in our own performance or our own knowledge of good and evil, If you remember, that didn't work out so well for Adam and Eve when they looked for their own knowledge of good and evil, right? Those are empty graves. They don't do anything for us. They have no hope for us. They have no life. And so as Matt talked about that, and we were talking about it together as a staff, and I was was thinking about it all week long, whenever I hear a message, a lot of times my my next thought is, like, I understand it, I get it, and then I want to know what to do. Is anybody else like that? Maybe that's just my personality. Uh, I am a doer kind of person. And so, so, you know, you throw this thought out there and I'm like, okay, but now what? Now what, what do you do? I can't, I can't rely on my own performance. I can't rely on the do's and the don'ts. I can't rely, I, what do I do? What do I do? And so I thought, I had this thought that um, maybe, maybe there's somebody who, who understands what I might be going through. to to understand what it feels like to walk out of that empty grave, full of life, yet still wearing flesh, what did that person do? Is there anybody like that, first of all, and then second of all, what did that person do? And you know what? (laughs) Jesus is that person, right? Because he, he was put in the grave and he left it. He walked away from his empty grave and he still wore his flesh suit and we'll talk about that later the bible says he was he was flesh and bone right and so how did he live and so i spent all week long reading matthew 28 uh, Mark 16, John 20 and 21. Matthew, let's get Luke. Luke is um, I can't remember. It says it in your bulletin. And I, I read those verses, uh, those chapters over and over again, like looking for the story, and also looking at what Jesus did. What, what did he do in the flesh, yet fully, full of new life? How did he live? What was important to him? right? We know the rules weren't. He didn't talk about them once. His performance, he didn't do, he didn't do well, actually, we don't know all that he did. <laughs> Maybe he did a ton of really cool stuff. But what we know, what is recorded, is really cool to look at, and that's what we're going to look at today. Because we want to see how he lived beyond the empty grave, it's Luke 24. There it is in my notes. It says it right there. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21 and Acts 1. Those are, our verse, those are our chapters where I'm pulling today's story out of. And this story is a man, again, who in the flesh was working out the salvation and the grace that he and his father provided for us. And each account has uh, different little tidbits of the story. Um, that that we're going to talk about today. Matthew, for instance, is the only one who records what happens to the Roman soldiers. Um, If you don't know, it's kind of a cool little piece of the story, and you should read Matthew 28 later today or later this week. Mark is the only one who talks about the miracles and the signs and wonders that will accompany Us as believers, as we go forward, there's some pretty cool stuff in there like handling snakes and stuff. Um, I'll let you read that on your own. But we're not talking about the Roman soldiers or the snakes today. We're going to talk about Luke and John because it's there that we see Jesus hanging out with and restoring relationship with his friends with his disciples and that is really cool and that's what we're going to talk about today and of course because Matt talked about the girls last week it is the boys that I'm going to talk about this week Um, the boys the boys are kind of funny in this story they uh, they're a lot let me just put it that way the boys are a lot in this story and the first thing that I saw as I read these accounts over and over again, the first thing that I saw that Jesus did after Jesus did on earth after his resurrection was Jesus met the disciples where they were. They didn't have to go looking for him. In fact, a lot of the times they were hiding in a room with the door locked. They didn't go looking for him. He came to them right where they were. In Luke chapter 24, he tells us about, you know, the women going to the grave and all of that. And he told us, uh, Luke tells us, this is funny, Luke tells us about Peter uh, hearing the news from the women that Jesus was alive. And Peter runs all the way to the grave himself. Luke doesn't mention John. Of course, John mentions John. And what does John mention in John? John mentions that John won, that he ran faster than Peter, and he beat him there. I think it's hilarious. These guys are so human, right? I love it when their humanity shows. But Luke does tell us about two of Jesus' disciples that weren't a part of the 11. They were just two guys that were considered Jesus' apostles, and they were walking from Jerusalem to the city called Emmaus. Now, Emmaus, depending on the translation that you read or the explanation, is somewhere between 17 and, well, seven and 17 miles away from Jerusalem. So it's a long walk. Remember, they don't have scooters, they don't have cars, they don't have buses. They're walking from one city to the next, right? And on this walk, they're talking about all of the events that have just happened. And they're sad and they're dismayed and, oh my gosh, can you believe it? They killed Jesus and, ah. Oh. And they're all upset about it all. And then the next thing they know, Jesus is standing there and he's joined them on their journey. Luke 24, 14 through 15 says this. These two disciples, these guys, were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them. And you know what? They didn't recognize him, they had no clue who he was. These were friends of Jesus, disciples, followers. Not on Instagram, not on Facebook. These were guys who had hung out with him quite a bit, and they didn't recognize him. And Jesus, you know, plays it really cool, and he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, you know, haven't you heard? Where have you been? Don't you know what's happened? And they started telling him all about his death. And they started telling him about how the women went to his grave, and there was nobody there. Can you believe it? What does it mean? And Jesus, you know, says, you know, sometimes he's not very nice. Is that bad to say in church? That Jesus sometimes was a little, like, challenging? Jesus says, you bunch of thick-headed fools, why is it so hard for you to believe? Didn't the prophets tell you that this would happen? Right? Hello? Right? And Jesus could have bolted right then and there. They're not believing who he is. He could have taken off, but he didn't. He stayed there. He walked with them all the way down the road, like a day's walk. He's walking with them. He's talking with them. And the Bible says that he unveiled the revelation of himself, beginning with Moses. Now, that's a long way back for these guys, right? It's a long way back. But Jesus unveiled himself through the scriptures, beginning with Moses. He met them right where they were. And if he meets them where they were, guess what he does for us? He meets us right where we are, on whatever road it is that we are walking on. And Jesus wasn't put off by their unbelief or their lack of understanding. How many of us get really frustrated when our kids don't believe us when we give them good advice, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you have teenagers or had teenagers, oh, you're telling them, and if they only believed you that that was dumb, that's a really dumb choice for you to do that, if they only believed us. And it gets frustrating. But Jesus wasn't put off at all by their lack of belief or their lack of understanding. And I think it's funny that they didn't recognize him. These two guys didn't recognize him until he broke bread, you know, and he broke bread and he started serving to him. And they're like, oh, we've seen that before. (laughs) Oh, that's Jesus. That's right. And I think it's hilarious that at that moment when they finally recognize who he is is when Jesus bolts. I mean, he takes off, he disappears. And they're left going, wait a minute, where'd he go? You know, and they decide, oh, let's go back. Let's go back to Jerusalem and tell the other guys all about what we've seen and what we've heard. And so they scurry on back to Jerusalem and they get there and they find the disciples and they're listening into their conversation. And the disciples are saying, yeah, the women said he was gone. They even told Peter. Peter even appeared. Peter even saw Jesus. Can you believe it? Because at that point, Peter was a little bit on the outs, right? And we'll talk about Peter in a minute. And if you can picture it, these two guys go in, they start talking to all the other disciples, and they're in a room behind locked doors because these guys are freaking out scared about the Jewish leaders, about the religious leaders coming and finding them and doing to them what they did to Jesus. They're scared to death, and they're wondering, and they're they're staggering about in awe and in fear, wondering what in the world is taking place. Jesus shows up. He teleports in, right? And he's standing in there, and he's like, "Whoa!" Well, you, you can imagine the freak out moment that they had. And I just had a funny little picture. It's like when you walk into your kid's room, and they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. <gasps> you know, they freak out. But Jesus walks in, and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's okay. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's me. It's just me. I'm here. We got Peace. Peace. Don't be afraid. And then, as they're ecstatic and dumbfounded, they still, they still don't believe it. They still can't comprehend. They're standing there talking to the guy. They still can't comprehend what is happening. Luke 24, 41 through 43 says, Knowing that they were still wondering if he was real, Jesus said, Here, let me show you. Give me something to eat. And they handed him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb. Get your protein, got your carbs. And they watched him eat. They didn't join in. They just watched. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? Is it like going to come out? Is it going to fall through him if he's a ghost? You know, where's it going to go? But it's flesh and bones. And he eats the bread and he and the or the fish and the honeycomb and he doesn't he doesn't do it with an attitude he's like all right just watch me it's me I'm real and what a contrast that is to the way the prodigal son or to the way the father received the prodigal son right remember he saw the son from afar recognized him ran towards him you know threw up his arms and said oh gosh I almost knocked that over threw up his arms and said woohoo come on let's go party. These guys are sitting across the table from Jesus, and they're still trying to figure it out. They simply cannot believe it's him. And the struggle is real. But our sweet Jesus is patient with them. Aren't you glad? Because if he was that patient with them, that means he's that patient with us. As we scratch our heads and go, Jesus, I I don't know about all this. I don't know how to do this. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel you right now. I don't know what you're doing. And Jesus didn't just sit there with them patiently. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding so that they could begin to see. And then this next thing that Jesus does is my favorite thing that he does. It's my favorite. Because the next thing that he does is Jesus lets them get close enough to see his wounds. Luke 24, 39 through 40 says, See for yourselves. I'm standing here alive. Touch me and know that my wounds are real. A spirit doesn't have a body of flesh and bone as you see that I have. Then he showed him, they showed them his hands and his feet right? He showed them. What do we do when we're wounded? You remember when, when you were a little kid or when you were raising your little kids and they got hurt? What's the first thing they do? They cover it up, right? They don't, want, they don't want you to get to it because it hurts. What do we do when we're hurt and we're wounded? We cover it up. We back up. We don't want anybody to see where we're hurting or where we're flawed or where we're wounded. And yet that's the exact opposite of what Jesus said. He reached out his hands again and drew them close so that they could see that the wounds in his flesh were real. I thought about those words all week long. I can come up with a whole list of wounds, like we said earlier, a list of wounds that are real in my life. And I love that Jesus showed them that. Let me ask you a question. At this point in the story, is Jesus wholly sanctified? Holy and sanctified? Or holy, sanctified, either way? <laughs> yeah. Is he healed? Is he complete? Are sins forgiven? Can he be any closer to God than he was in that moment? Was there still something left for him to do? Or was it finished? It was finished, right? It was finished. It was done. He was sanctified. He was holy. He was fully connected with God. And yet, he bore the marks of sin in his flesh. To me, that's about the best news I've heard all week. Maybe all year. Maybe my life. I don't know. That the sins, the marks of sin (laughs) that I carry in my flesh, the leftover fear, the leftover doubt, the shame, the insecurity, all those are marks of sin in my life. And they can be here, they're real, but they're not, they don't have anything to do with my connectedness to God. They don't have anything to do with what's in here. This stuff that's here, it's trapped here. It's going to die it's going to go. I get to we get to leave it behind. We get to leave it in the empty tomb. <laughs> but what's in here? That connection with God can never be taken away, not even by the marks of sin that are still in my flesh. They're here. We're forgiven. We're sanctified. Even though the marks of sin in our flesh won't ever go completely away. And then, just to drive home the point, in case we missed it, Luke goes on to tell us the story of Thomas, right? Thomas, doubting Thomas, sweet, poor, doubting Thomas, right? Don't we all go, oh, Thomas, right? You didn't believe. Because somehow he missed Jesus' first teleportation. Teleportation? I knew that wasn't the right word. He missed Jesus' first teleportation, little incident, little stunt. And so he says, nope, I'm not going to believe until I see Jesus myself. How many of us would be like that? I'll believe it when I see it. Right? That's our Thomas. Jesus, Jesus is sweet with Thomas. Eight days later, he shows up. The guys are, okay, I'm just going to say, the guys are still hanging out in the room afraid. Behind locked doors, terrified of what's going to happen out there. I, I, I shouldn't make too much fun of them. I mean, we all have our fears, right? But they're still afraid. Jesus has now appeared to them a couple of times. He's shown them his wounds. They still don't know what to do. I guess I shouldn't make fun of them because isn't that how we are sometimes? Still afraid. And so Jesus shows up a week later and he stands before them in an instant, just like he did before. And he says the same thing. Peace. Be at peace. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. And then what he does with Thomas is so cool. He looks at Thomas in the eyes, the Bible says. He looked him in the eyes like, Thomas, Thomas, this one's for you. The last time that I came, it was for all of them. This time it's for you. Look, Thomas, feel the wound in my hand. Feel it here. Put your hand here. And he says, here, give me the other hand. Feel my side. Feel it here. I mean, you're pretty close to Jesus at this point if you're touching the wound in his hand and you're touching his side. That's how close Jesus pulled Thomas in. And it wasn't until Thomas was that close, it wasn't until then that he believed that it really was Jesus. And aren't you glad Jesus doesn't give up on you when you doubt and when you're afraid and when you try his patience? Right? Aren't you glad that he pulls you close and says, look, this one's for you. I am here. I love you that much. Thomas, Jesus says, you see and believe, but there are those who won't see, and they believe. And it's kind of like Jesus you know, breaks that fourth wall, and he looks into the camera, and he goes, I see you. You don't see me, but I see you, and you believe in me, and you, because you believe in me without seeing me, you're more blessed than those guys who, who got to eat broiled fish and honeycomb with me, you know? We are blessed because we don't see and we believe. I think that might have something to do with Jesus supernaturally unlocking our understanding don't you aren't you glad that he's done that with us and you know what could Jesus could he have completely healed the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side could he have yeah of course he could have the couple days before that he'd put a guy's ear back on his head that Peter had cut off right remember that part of the story earlier he made blind people see he made lame people walk Like, he could have completely covered over those wounds, but he didn't. I don't know exactly why he didn't, but I do know that he uses those to show us that even though our flesh might be imperfect, might carry wounds, that nothing, nothing can keep us from our God. Nothing can separate us. He wants us to see that the wounds that we carry, the marks of flesh, are not barriers to our relationship with him. Isn't that really good news? When you're feeling ashamed or scared or whatever, that doesn't keep you from the reality of Jesus in us. This new life that we have, this connection to God that Jesus offers, when we receive it, it's ours for keeps, and it is infinitely eternally more important than what we feel and experience here in this flesh isn't it jesus was vulnerable with the disciples and with thomas and he pulled them close he was unafraid and unashamed to show us his wounds it's remarkable And then there's Peter. We finally get to Peter. He's my favorite. Not only was Peter my grandpa's name, but he's one of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible because he's such an oaf. He's such a big ding-dong of a guy. I mean, he puts himself out there. One day he's saying, Jesus, I will go to the grave fighting for you. I'm sure he meant it. I'm 100% positive Peter believed with every fiber in his body that he would go to to the death with Jesus. And all it took was a little girl going, aren't you his friend? A couple hours later, no? What do you mean? I mean, the Bible says, the, the language of the Bible there, when Peter denies Jesus three times, the language is like he's cussing by the end of it. I don't know him, you know? Like he's not just cowering. He's cussing, mad, denying that he knows Jesus. He's such a big oaf. I don't know. I love him. I identify. (laughs) I know what it feels like to put myself out there and go, yes, I'll do this, Lord. And then, like, minutes later, we're going, oh, God, I don't know. Right? I don't know. And through Peter's story, We see just how valuable, again, how valuable the individual is. Because while he was here on earth, walking around in the flesh or teleporting around in the flesh, he mended broken relationships. Jesus mended broken relationships. It's funny, when you read John chapter 20, You get to the end of it, and it feels like the end of the story. It it reads like this. Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all of that is recorded here so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. Period. The end. That's what the reading John chapter 20, that's how it ends. And it almost seems like the entire chapter uh, 21 of John is like this massive postscript where John was reading, and he finished, and he put down his pen. He was like, "Ah," and he was like, ah, I forgot about Peter. And then he tells us Peter's story. And the way it starts off is uh, John chapter 21, the way it starts off is, Uh, uh, John tells us about this really cool fishing story right all you fishermen it's really fun story Uh, and it is strikingly similar to the story of uh, another fishing story where Jesus first initially called these guys to be his disciples in both of those two stories at the very beginning of, of Jesus' ministry and here at the very end, uh, the guys are out fishing. They do all they know how to do to catch fish, to make a living. They do everything they know how to no avail. They don't catch a single one. They fish all night, they, whatever. They've done it. They don't catch anything. They're like, mm-hmm. Right? They're all sad. They're dejected about it. Jesus is like, hey, why don't you try this other thing? One time it was try the other side of the boat. One time it was try again uh, during the day, which you don't normally catch fish during the day. They, They would fish at night, right? And both times, so both times it kind of went against common sense. But both times, the guys pull in this massive load of fish to the point where it's almost making the boat sink, right? They can hardly bring it in. And the first time they were like, this guy's kind of cool. Let's follow him and see what else maybe he can get for us. I don't know. And this last time, he's risen, he's in the flesh, he's resurrected. And he says it again, you know, go back out, try it, just try one more time. And they catch this massive load of fish. I don't know exactly why, you know, Jesus used fishing. I don't know exactly what he was trying to tell them. Maybe he was trying to tell them to remind them that they will be fishers of men. I don't know. Maybe, they were try- maybe Jesus was trying to remind them, like, remember when you followed me before? You're still my followers. Even though we've been through this mess together, you're still my followers. I kind of think that maybe it has something to do with Jesus wanting to show them favor. He wanted to show them, I've got you. I've got you. You can try and you can work and you can do all that you know and you can try all the things that you've tried. And you know what? Uh, Sometimes that's not going to (laughs) work. Sometimes you're going to be left with empty nets. And yet, if you look to me, if you look to me, I'll fill you up. I'll fill you up. I love those two stories but when they bring the fish in oh there's this one part where Peter jumps in and swims to the edge maybe that's why I like Peter so much he did a little 100-yard sprint you know to the edge I don't know but they get to the shore and Jesus has made him breakfast and he serves them breakfast how many of you guys like breakfast in bed especially if you've had a hard night right Breakfast prepared for you. It's so awesome. It's so sweet. Jesus did it. He made him breakfast. And then shortly after that, in John 21, verse 15, 16, and 17, we learn that Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Think about it. As Jesus is trying to mend relationships, to mend this relationship with Peter, he doesn't let Peter off the hook (laughs) for his sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. He doesn't pretend that the wounds aren't real. They were. The wounds that Peter's denial caused Jesus were real. And he didn't ignore it. But somehow, he did it in such a way. He confronted Peter in such a way. And we know that he didn't ignore it because he asked him three times. Peter denied him three times. He asked him three times. He didn't ignore it. But Jesus does it in such a way that it is without malice. It's without condemnation or judgment. It's without pointing a finger and go, "Mm." it wasn't ugly. It was real, but it wasn't ugly. And it changed Peter's life, didn't it? He was able, Jesus somehow was able to point to love and to loving others in this moment of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And it changed his life, and it changed ours. And lastly, our story of Jesus' final days on earth wraps up in Acts chapter 1. It's Luke writing here again. And Jesus promises us a helper. He knows there is no way we can do this without him. (laughs) He knows. He knows that we're going to be lost. And left up to ourselves, we'd be locked in a room behind closed doors, Right? Wondering, what are we going to do? But he sends us a helper. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see, Jesus understands what it feels like to wear the flesh. He understood what it felt like, what it felt like, to feel like he was disconnected from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt it. He knew what that felt like to have the weight of sin on him and to have that barrier seem like he was disconnected from God. And I have a hunch that this is why Jesus tells us, this is why unity is so important and why it's so important for us to connect with other people because it's really the only tangible evidence we have that connection is real. And we can take it when we connect with other people, we can take that that and go, okay, I have that with God too. I think that's part of why it's so important for us to be unified. And we can't let ourselves be afraid of going and telling The world, Jerusalem, like how many of you freak out when you you hear the Great Commission? What do you mean? Where do you want me to go? It's hard enough for me to go across the street and talk to my neighbor. Where do you want me to go, you know? But he just wants us to be like Jesus and share our wounds with those across the street, maybe sit with them for a minute. And so what in the world, what in the world does all of this that we've just talked about? How can this help us? What does it mean? How is it helpful? How does it help us with our problem? Well, if our problem is that we sometimes feel disconnected from the reality of knowing God, and the way we act, and the way we we hurt, and with what we say, and with what we do, the way it helps us is is we know Jesus' wounds were real, We know he moved beyond the grave. And if we look at his life, maybe we can move beyond the empty graves that we've made ourselves. Because you see, Jesus meets people where they are. And we can do the exact same thing. We can meet people where they are. It's in our connections with people that lives change. But we're not responsible to change them. We just have to walk with them sit with them for a bit, maybe explain a little bit about how much Jesus loves them. And by looking at Jesus' example, we'll see that Jesus doesn't worry about people's unbelief. He doesn't worry about their lack of understanding. And we can do the same thing. We don't have to get mad when people don't believe like we do or scared. We don't have to stress out about who believes what. We can just sit with them eat some broiled fish and some honeycomb or not maybe chick-fil-a i don't know and we can look for ways to increase their understanding and ours and when we look to jesus's life and how he solved the problem of living life beyond the empty grave we can see that jesus used his wounds to draw people and we can do the same We can pull people close by letting them see our vulnerabilities. It's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. We can look at people in the eye and say, I get it. I get it. I've said some pretty dumb things myself. I've done some pretty dumb things myself. But look, here's how Jesus has helped me. And I think he can maybe help you too. And then lastly, or almost lastly I guess, (laughs) Jesus sought to mend the broken relationships, and we can do the same. And this is the part that gets tricky, right? We can't mend every broken relationship that we have. I do believe, I believe with all that is in me that every broken relationship can be mended. I believe it. I also know, though, that sometimes the scars are too deep. They're too, they're, they're hard. I had a skin cancer thing removed here recently. I've got a little scar. It's, it feels different. It's hard. Is that gross? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> didn't mean to do that. Uh, but while every relationship I believe can be, I don't know that they all will be. And that doesn't even have to have to freak us out. That doesn't have to scare us. You know why? Because jesus left the disciples in the hands of a really really powerful and good helper and we can do the same we can lovingly leave people the ones that we've hurt and the ones that have hurt us in the hands of the helper and what better place for them to be i hope that in some small way, this has been encouraging to you. I don't mean for it to be like this heavy, like But some of us, we carry that, don't we? And what I wanna tell you is that you don't have to be weirded out by that. You don't have to be weirded out by the heaviness, by the brokenness, by the whatever that you're carrying, because it's here, it's just in the flesh. It's gonna go someday. All the things that you wish weren't there, someday won't be someday won't be. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we can remember that God loves us. And because he lives, because he lives, we can face our future, right? How many of you guys remember that old Bill Gaither song? How many of you sang it the minute I said it? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know, oh, oh, <laughs> who holds the future? Life, the little bit that we have left, depending on where you are. Whether you're 15 or 50 or whatever the little bit we have left, that life is worth the living because he lives.